For I've had enough of this world and its pleasures I will arise and go forth to the house of my young I will arise and go forth to the house of my father I will arise and go forth to the house of my young House of my young Shalom, and welcome to today's teaching on the Hebraic roots of Christianity, where we study first century Christianity and the faith that Jesus, whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, which means salvation, taught his disciples. And now, Hebraic roots teacher Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries International. Shalom. I'm Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries, and we welcome you to today's teaching on the subject, Two Houses and the New Testament. This is part 28 of the series. In Hosea chapter 1, verse 10, it says, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. Now, when you see this phrase, the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered, what comes to your mind? What should come to your mind is the promise promise that was made to Abraham. That his descendants would be as the stars of the sky and as the sand of the sea. So in other words, what we're being told here is that through the judgment of the northern kingdom, that the God of Israel is going to fulfill his covenant promise to Abraham. It goes on to say in Hosea chapter 1 verse 10, and it will come to pass that in the place where it was said, you are not my people, where is it said that you are not my people? Here in the judgment of the northern kingdom, that there it will be said, you are the son of the living God. Now, who is the son of the living God? Well, in John, in chapter 1 and verse 12, a son of the living God is a believer in Yeshua as the Messiah. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even of them that believe on his name. So the prophecy that was given to the northern kingdom is even though that they would be cut off from the covenant, they would be no mercy, not my people, that ultimately God would restore them and they would go from being not his people, to being sons of the living God. This is a prophecy that those of the northern kingdom would become believers in Yeshua as the Messiah. In Ezekiel in chapter 8, verse 6 and verses 9 and 10, we see that abomination is associated with creeping things and abominable beasts. He said, furthermore unto me, son of man, see thou what they do, even the great abominations that the house of Israel commits here, that I should go far off from my sanctuary but turn you yet again and you will see greater abominations and he said to me go in and behold the wicked abominations that they do here so I went and saw and behold every form of creeping thing and abominable beast and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall round about now in Hosea in chapter 2 remember the book of Hosea is written to the northern kingdom Hosea chapter 1 prophesies of their judgment and then it tells us of their restoration so Hosea chapter 2 goes on to say, in their restoration, this is what the God of Israel promised to do under the northern kingdom. Hosea in chapter 2 in verses 18 through 20. And in that day will I make a covenant with them. What's going to be the name of that covenant? The new covenant. He's going to make a covenant for them to become sons of the living God. For them to become believers in Yeshua as the Messiah. I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, with the fowls of the heaven 
woodland and with the creeping things of the ground. These are terms that describe the northern kingdom for departing from the Torah. And in making the covenant with the northern kingdom, who is described as being a beast of the field and a fowl of the heaven and a creeping thing of the ground, it says, I'm going to betroth you unto me forever. I will betroth you unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. I will even betroth you unto me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. In the book, The Messianic Idea in Israel by Joseph Klausner on page 48, he explains from Hosea chapter 2 that we are told that the future uniting of the 12 tribes of Israel is likened or patterned after the historical Egyptian redemption, where it says, Hosea prophesies that the future redemption, that is the uniting of the 12 tribes of Israel, will be like the redemption from the Egyptian bondage. And quoting from Hosea in chapter 2, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly unto her, and I will give her vineyards from there and the valley of Acor for adore hope, and she will respond there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 13, it is written, and there came a voice to him saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. So Peter is given this vision of unclean entities, and we've just defined for you what actually is happening here, that in the context of three men who are coming to visit Peter's house while they are coming. Peter has this vision of these unclean things and he's told to rise, kill, and eat. And what we're developing for you is seeing that the unclean things that Peter is seeing is going to relate to the northern kingdom, how they were cut off from the covenant. But there was a promise that the God of Israel would enter into covenant with them and betroth them unto him for ever. And so before they repent in return, they have a spiritual status of being unclean like these animals. And also in the perspective and the viewpoint of a Pharisaic Jew of the first century, that if you would mingle with a non-Jew, this was forbidden because the non-Jew is seen as not following Torah commandments and therefore you endanger that the Jew who would be intermingling with the non-Jew may, through the intermingling, be violating one of the commandments. And so this is the background of what's happening. And ultimately, what we're going to see is the understanding and the meaning of Peter's vision. So he's told to kill and eat. Well, the word kill is the Strong's number 2380 in the Strong's Greek Dictionary. And it means to make a sacrifice. And it can be a reference to, for example, killing a Passover lamb, but it means to sacrifice or to slaughter. And what we're going to understand here is that this is going to be related to a sacrificial meal. In Genesis in chapter 31 and verse 54, it says, Jacob offered sacrifice upon the mount and called his brethren to eat bread. So in making this sacrifice, which is the Strong's number 2077 in the Strong's Hebrew Dictionary, it's the Hebrew word zabak. It means a sacrifice, a covenant sacrifice, or a thank offering. And so it's possible to make a particular sacrifice that is related to a covenantal meal that involves thanksgiving. Peter is told here in Acts chapter 10 and verse 13 to rise, kill, 
and eat. Now, sacrifices are done in the Torah in part to draw near to the God of Israel. And the Hebrew word is korban. In Leviticus in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, If his oblation, that would mean his offering or his korban, be a sacrifice, and this is the Strong's number 2077, which is the same word that is used of what Jacob did in making his sacrificial meal, that the word here is zabak, which means a sacrifice, a covenant sacrifice, or a thank offering. So a sacrifice or a korban for the purpose of friendship is known as a shalem or a peace offering. So in Acts chapter 10, verse 13, it says, there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat, where it says in Leviticus chapter 3 and verse 1, that if your oblation, that means if your korban, be a sacrifice, a zabak, for a covenantal meal of a peace offering, a shalem. And so shalem means a peace offering, or it can mean an offering for the alliance or friendship. And ultimately, this is what Peter is being instructed to do. Now, a korban or a sacrifice for friendship, a shalem, is an offering to the God of Israel. In Leviticus chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, it is written, And if your oblation, that means your korban, be a sacrifice, a zabak, of a peace offering, a shalem, he shall lay his hand upon the head of his offering and kill it. And he shall offer of the sacrifice of the peace offering, the shalem, an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Now, in Acts chapter 10, verses 14 through 16, Peter is told three times to eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God has cleansed, that call not common. And this was done three times, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now, the reason why he was told three times is because there was three men who was coming to see him. In Acts chapter 10, verse 17, now while Peter doubted in himself what the vision which he had seen should mean, because it did not make literal sense. But in the Torah, it says that when the God of Israel is going to speak to you in a prophetic dream, he's going to speak to you in types and symbols. So the vision that Peter is seeing is meant to be symbolic. In Acts chapter 10, in verse 19, it says, while Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men seek you. Arise, therefore, and get you down and go with them, doubting nothing. Doubting nothing about what? About receiving the three men. See, the vision was so that Peter would not doubt to receive the three men who were not Jewish into his house. Now, Peter's attitude toward the non-Jew represents the attitude of rabbinic Judaism toward the non-Jew. In Acts chapter 10, verse 21 and verse 28, it is written, Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he who you seek. What is the cause wherefore you are come? And he said unto them, You know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come into one of another nation. Now, he says, You know that is an unlawful thing. It's a violation of the Torah. It is not a violation of written Torah, but it is a violation of Pharisaic Judaism or Rabbinic Judaism or Orthodox Judaism or according to the oral law. So Peter had in his mind the 
adhering to oral law regarding this manner. And so in order that he would receive the three men into his house, the God of Israel gave Peter a vision, in essence, telling him, receive them into your house and have fellowship with them. In Leviticus in chapter 17, verse 10, regarding food, it is written, in whatsoever men there be of the house of Israel or of the strangers that sojourn among you that eat any manner of blood, I will even set my face against that soul that eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. In the sayings of the fathers, Pirkei Avot 1.1, there's a instruction about that you are to make a fence around the Torah. In Pirkei Avot 1.1, it says, Moses received the Torah from Sinai and transmitted it to Joshua. Joshua transmitted it to the elders, the elders to the prophets, and the prophets transmitted it to the men of the great assembly. They, the men of the great assembly, said three things. Things. Be deliberate in judgment, raise many students, and make a protective fence for the Torah. The protective fence or the rabbinic fence for Jews in part entails not associating with non-Jews. In the Talmud in Avodah Zarah 37 through 43, in the weekly Dav put out by Orsameach and Rabbi Mendel Weinbach, he explains the following. The conclusion of the Gemara is that the prohibition against food cooked by a non-Jew is of rabbinic origin either to discourage intimacy and dining with non-Jews, which may lead to eating their non-kosher food, is the opinion of Rashi, or to discourage the social contact, which may lead to intermarriage. And this is Tosafot. Peter, in Acts chapter 10, verse 28, was told to not call any man unclean. In Acts chapter 10, verse 28, he said to them, you know how that it is an unlawful thing, according to oral law, rabbinic Judaism, for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come into one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. In other words, this was all about not calling the three who were coming to Peter's house. It was all about not calling them common or unclean. And so the ones who were coming to Peter's house, they represent Ephraim or the northern kingdom. And the God of Israel is specifying to Peter that he wants table fellowship between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. So Peter says, God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Men is a term that is connected with the nation of Israel. Now, men in Hebrew is Adam, and Adam is a term that means all mankind, but it also is a term that refers to the nation of Israel. In the Art Scroll of Ezekiel on page 30, and and then referring to Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 31, and Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 10, it is there that the nation of Israel is called men, or the Hebrew word is Adam. So when Yeshua called his disciples in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This has a double meaning. He's going to make you fishers of all mankind, but he's also going to make you fishers of the nation of Israel. So don't call any 
man. This could be a reference to those of the northern kingdom, since Peter is a Jew and of the southern kingdom. So let's summarize what we've learned here in dissecting Peter's vision in Acts chapter 10. Yeshua, through the vision that he's giving Peter, and Peter is playing the prophetic role of rabbinic Judaism or Orthodox Judaism. And he's communicating to the house of Judah or the southern kingdom to accept and have tableship with their non-Jewish Ephraimites who believe that Yeshua is the Messiah as a way of drawing near, that would be a korban, to the God of Israel by presenting to him a peace offering, which is friendship between Ephraim and Judah or northern kingdom and southern kingdom. In Galatians, in chapter 2 and verse 7, we see that Peter is an apostle to Judah. And when they saw that the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, so circumcision here is a term that refers to a Jew, that the gospel was given to Peter to go to the Jews. But Paul was an apostle to Ephraim or the uncircumcision. Galatians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. When they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed to me, that is Paul, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, that is to the Jewish people, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles, that is the non-Jews, with particular emphasis upon the northern kingdom or Ephraim. With this understanding that circumcision is a term that can refer to the Jewish people at large, and uncircumcision is a term that refers to non-Jews, and particularly it would refer to the northern kingdom or the ten tribes or Ephraim. It says in 1 Corinthians in chapter 7 verses 18 and 19, is any man called being circumcised? Or in other words, is anyone Jewish? Let him not become uncircumcised. What does this mean? That means that if you're Jewish, that it's okay to follow after Jewish culture, customs, and practices. That is, as long as it doesn't violate written Torah, that if you're Jewish, you're not to partake upon yourself the ways of the non-Jews and the culture and the customs of the non-Jews. Now, is anyone called in uncircumcision? Or in other words, is anyone non-Jewish? This would be a reference to Ephraim or the northern kingdom or the ten tribes. Let him not be circumcised. In other words, Ephraim or the northern kingdom is not required to follow after Jewish culture and custom. So it goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 19 that circumcision is nothing or circumcision isn't the issue. The issue isn't whether you were born Jewish and uncircumcision is nothing. The issue isn't whether you were born non-Jewish. The issue to the God of Israel isn't that you're Jewish or non-Jewish, but the issue to him is keeping the commandments of God. So I want you to notice that it tells both the circumcision and the uncircumcision to keep the commandments of God. What commandments? The written commandments of God as given by the lawgiver, Yeshua. He's the lawgiver that is able to save, James chapter 4 and verse 12. And we love him by keeping his commandments. So what we're told here is that both the circumcision and the uncircumcision are to keep the commandments of God. And so this is a reference to both Jew and non-Jew keeping the commandments of the God of Israel. Now, if a non-Jew was commanded to not be circumcised, then he wouldn't be keeping the commandments of God. But here we see that the uncircumcision is 
is to keep the commandments of God. And as a part of keeping the commandments of God, part of keeping those commandments is circumcision. Now, in keeping the circumcision as mandated by the Torah, there are two elements of circumcision that the Torah requires. And the one is that you be circumcised of the heart. And in the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 10, in verse 12, it says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? And it goes on to say in Deuteronomy, in chapter 10, verse 16, Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. But then, in Genesis, in chapter 17, this instruction was given to Abraham, in verses 10 through 13, that one who is born in the house, either native born or a stranger who sojourns in the house, that he that is eight days old must be circumcised. So the Torah requires circumcision of the heart and circumcision of the flesh. Now of the two, which one is weightier? The one which is weightier is circumcision of the heart. But the circumcision of the heart ultimately does not do away with the circumcision of the flesh as we can see that in messianic times in Ezekiel in chapter 44 in verse 9 it says thus says the Lord God no stranger uncircumcised in heart nor uncircumcised in flesh shall enter into my sanctuary of any stranger that is among the children of Israel so keeping the commandments of God is being circumcised in the heart and being circumcised in the flesh and in messianic times the God of Israel will require the stranger that in order to enter into his sanctuary must be circumcised of the heart and circumcised of the flesh. But what Paul is explaining here in 1 Corinthians in chapter 7 verses 18 and 19 that whether you are Jewish, which is represented here by the term the circumcised, or whether you are not Jewish, which is represented by being uncircumcised, that whether you're Jewish or un-Jewish, you are, if you are a believer in the God of Israel and Yeshua as the Messiah, because he is the lawgiver, James chapter 4 and verse 12, that we are to keep his commandments. Well, hopefully from these teachings now, you understand that it is the ministry of the Messiah to gather and to unite the 12 tribes of Israel. And Yeshua sent fishermen to gather the exiles of Israel. This is the conclusion of the last part of this series on two houses and the New Testament. And I hope that this series has helped you to understand that the central theme of the New Testament is the role of the Messiah to gather and unite the 12 tribes of Israel. And it gives us a detailed explanation of how this is going to happen. And through this study series, we've given you many examples how Yeshua's ministry prophetically was related and associated to his role to gather and unite the 12 tribes of Israel. Now remember always these words from 1 John in chapter 2 and verse 6. He who says that he abides in him, he who says that he's a believer in Yeshua as the Messiah, ought himself to walk. That means to live our lives even as he walked. And how did Yeshua walk or how did Yeshua live his life? He followed the Torah of his father. Even so, Yeshua commanded those who believed on him in John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Keeping the commandments of Yeshua is following his Torah because he is the lawgiver who is able to save. James chapter 4 and verse 12. Well, that's going to conclude part 20 28 
of the series on the subject, Two Houses and the New Testament. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Thank you, Eddie. This is Stephen Morgan, and all of us here at Hebraic Heritage Ministries pray that you have enjoyed today's teaching. If you've been blessed, will you help us to share this message with others? Hebraic Heritage Ministries is supported by your generous financial gifts. In order to help you in your studies and to help us share this message with others, we are offering today the DVD, Yeshua the Lawgiver, for free for a love gift of any amount to the ministry. Hebraic Heritage Ministries also offers a monthly discipleship program. If you are interested in starting a fellowship group in your area, let us know. We would like to help you. Please contact us for more details. Our website is hebroots.org. That's H-E-B-R-O-O-T-S dot O-R-G. We would like to hear from you. Please send us an email. Finally, in order to take advantage of today's free offer, please mention this product offer and... Please mail your love gift to Hebraic Heritage Ministries, P.O. Box 81, Strasburg, that's S-T-R-A-S-B-U-R-G, Ohio, 44680. Until next time, may Yeshua richly bless you.